Hi, this is Pastor Scott Stroud, and I'd like to thank you for joining us online today as you're watching this sermon series. I know that COVID has had a big impact on the church, and many people have been viewing from home uh, for three years now. And so, if you're one of those, thank you for coming and interacting with us online. But I would also like to extend a personal invitation to come and check us out here at Elam. And we know that fellowship is very important. According to the Bible, we should not uh, give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And as you're thinking about, can you come now and, and venture out and join us uh, in, in person, uh, we would like to invite you and welcome you into the fellowship aspect of our worship time. Hope to see you soon on some Sunday at 10 a.m. series uh, looking at the Gospels and uh, getting to know Jesus better over this next year. And as we come to this passage, we see that there are some questions here. And children are full of questions. The most common question that they have is why. Why is the sky blue? Why do I have to eat my vegetables? Why do I have to go to bed so early? Why is your tummy getting so big, mom? Why did grandpa die? The list goes on and on. When we were young parents, we received some advice, and uh, the advice was, if at all possible, try to explain the reason why when instructing children. This will help them develop a sense of trust and understanding as they think of your authority in their lives. But this parenting advice also came with a caveat that said, sometimes you have to tell them, because I said so. The child might not have the ability to comprehend a complex situation, and so a parental authority has to rule the day. One example of this is don't touch. A child can either learn don't touch by trusting and obeying their parent, or they can learn don't touch by putting their hand on a hot stove. And as a parent, I always preferred the first way, although I recognize that sometimes you have to learn the hard way. Well, the questions don't stop when we emerge from childhood. They just get a bit more complex, although I still wonder why the sky is blue, and maybe some of you science geeks out there can explain it after the service to me. In our text today, we have a huge why here. Jesus declares to his disciples that the way is straight and the gate is narrow that leads to eternal life, and few find it. And so the question that leaps out to me when I read this is, why do only a few find it? Why don't a bunch of people find it and just a few miss it? I'd like to uh, tell you that I have the answer to this question. I'd like to tell you that I understand the depths of the purposes of God and why he created the world the way that he did. I don't. These are the kind of questions which our Heavenly Father gives the answer to because I said so. And there are some answers that are given about the passage that we are looking at that we are allowed to find those answers for. And so those are the questions that I'm going to focus on in the remaining of our time here today. And so the first question we're going to be looking at is, what makes the way narrow? Straight and narrow are two words that have been given a bad rap in our current culture. They bring to mind images of rigidity, intolerance, and inflexibility. 
But the survivors of the Filipino ferry, the Donna Paz, wished that the operators had followed a straight and narrow way when it came to their journey in the Philippines in 1987. The Donna Paz was dubbed the Asian Titanic when it sank after colliding with an oil vessel, killing the nearly 4,300 passengers on board. The limit of 1,500 passengers seemed too narrow to the owners, and so they greedily crammed on three times more than the ship could hold. Carrying a radio in order to communicate with other ships seemed too frivolous and expensive, so the owner did not invest in that piece of equipment. Making life vests available to the passengers was too by the book, so instead they were locked away, inaccessible to the drowning victims. The oil ship that hit them obviously did not have much regard for the straight and narrow in its operation because it was deemed unseaworthy, had no license, and was, uh, they didn't even have a lookout, and the captain was not even a qualified harbor master. And so when you have a desire to arrive safely at your destination, the straight and narrow way is very appealing. Most of the people that I have met, even if they're from a different culture or a different religion, want to go to heaven. And in our universal relativistic society, many would say all roads lead to heaven. But the question is, do they? What are they basing that statement on? Well, for one thing, they're basing it on wishful thinking. And so the question is, how can I know for sure if I'm headed on the road that leads to heaven, that straight and narrow way? Well, one helpful way would be to ask actually somebody who's been there. Get directions. Ask them for a map. Jesus is a man who claimed not only to have been from heaven, but that he was from heaven. In John 3.13, it states, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, Jesus. Notice the exclusivity here. Jesus claims that he is the one and only one who ever has gone to heaven and can tell about it. And that telling is right here in this book. These are the directions. This is the roadmap that leads us to the entrance to the narrow gate. I was talking to one of my uh, seminary professors about this text, uh, Pastor Haugen, and I asked him about the narrow way. And he said, I quote, Few find the narrow way because it is contrary to reason, contrary to the human way of doing things. The narrow way is Jesus only, the way of the cross. By nature, we do not accept that way, and we are not attracted to that way, end quote. And so we see here that the way is narrow because it is exclusive, and, is a, and that's an assault to our intelligence. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, and we don't see any wiggle room there. And if you don't go through Jesus, you're not going to find eternal life. And so what does that mean to go through Jesus? Well, it means to believe in him. Jesus told Martha, the sister of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
I want that. I want my body to live on. I want to continue on in existence after I die. And so what must I believe about Jesus in order to enter through the narrow way? Well, here's a short list of what it means to believe in Jesus. And I encourage you in your own mind, as I read off this checklist, that you check these things off in your own mind. Do I believe this or not? If you don't believe in it, then I would encourage you to come talk to me or one of the elders and ask your questions or get it kind of figured out in your mind. And so things you must believe. First, I must believe that Jesus existed in history. Seems like a pretty easy one, right? Most of the world actually believes that. I must believe that he was born of the Virgin Mary who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. A little tougher, right? Next, I must believe that he is the Son of God and God the Son. Next, I must believe that he lived a sinless life. I must believe that he died on the cross as an innocent man. I must believe that his death paid the penalty for my sin. I must believe that he rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And finally, I must believe that he has gone to prepare a place for me so that where he is, I may be also. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. Okay. Now, many people have a few of those things that they can believe in. A lot of people have trouble with certain things, and perhaps you're one of them that has trouble with those things. Maybe you have questions about that. And so please, don't just leave it in your minds wondering. Come and talk to somebody about that, or do your research on your own. Now, either you believe in those things or you don't. Now, why do some find the way and some not find the way? And that brings us to the question, who are those that find it? In some ways, it would be almost more accurate to label the people in this category as the ones who were found by it, not the ones who found it. And the reason I say this is that there is so much language in Scripture that indicates that our role in salvation is passive. We can't take credit for any of it. Consider a couple of verses here. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. As I've indicated before, that word draws actually means drags, right? It was in re reference to animals or donkeys. You know, to draw them along was actually to drag them. And so you came to Christ because God the Father drug you. <laughs> sometimes kicking and screaming, sometimes resisting. Romans 3, 11 through 12 says, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, all have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Notice the key phrase here, no one seeks for God. It would seem that no one found the path because they were actually looking for it. And so, how do they find the path? Well, the common characteristic of those who have found the straight path and the narrow way is this. They did not reject God's grace and mercy when it was extended to them. And by the way, God's grace and mercy has been extended to the entire world. No one has an excuse. Everybody has an option to either receive that grace or to reject it. 
And so when the straight and narrow was set before them, they did not run away from it. They embraced it. They started down that road. And for some, that path is set before them in the grace that's given through baptism, as an infant, or later in life. Others are continually offered God's grace through a loving Christian family. Some are granted grace in the message of creation itself as it sings the glory of God. We see this in Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So even if you never even heard of the Bible or read a single verse in it, you see God in creation. You are without excuse when you reject him. And many have actually found God through just a simple text that they found. One guy I had a story I heard of was a prisoner, and he was in isolation, and somebody previous that had been in that cell wrote one verse on a piece of toilet paper. And this guy read that verse and came to Christ through that one verse. And so the power of the word. This is the gospel message, the good news. And when the message hits our ears, it sparks faith in our hearts. It softens our hearts towards God. And our hearts were not soft previous to that. But that brings us to our next category of people. Who are those who don't find it? For those who don't find the narrow gate, there are multiple factors that come into play. The parable of the sower of Matthew 13 explains it best. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quick, quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. First, notice here that the sower's just scattering seed everywhere, right? He's just throwing it wherever, you know, just... And the gospel message has gone out to the entire world, with even nature proclaiming it, as we saw in Romans 1. Jesus goes on to explain why most don't end up becoming established and bearing fruit. Some seed is sown along the path, which represents those who do not understand the good news. 2 Corinthians 4.4 declares that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded their eyes. And not only has Satan blinded their eyes, in Romans 1.18 it indicates that they suppress the truth. You actually have to suppress the truth for it to not make sense to you. Because it's the most sensical thing in the world. The fact that somebody created all of this all the way around us, it actually takes more faith to believe that nothing produced everything that we see. You have to suppress the truth to actually believe in that. And so this would be the so-called wise of this age, the intellectuals, the scientists, philosophers, and sages who have rejected God. The seeds sown by Jesus are foolishness to them. And just another fairy tale among so many other fairy tales out there. In the second group, we see individuals described as rocky soil. They understand. They actually receive the message with joy. 
but their hearts are hard. The seed can't take root and grow. They want the blessings from God. They want for the Lord to save them from the troubles of this life, but they leave the path at the first sign of persecution or ridicule. And finally, Jesus speaks of the seed that fall among the thorns and get choked out by the cares of this life. That person is lured away by the cares of the world, riches, wealth, fame, security, sex, whatever. These things are luring them away from what they know to be true. Can you see why the narrow gate is so hard to find? The world, our sinful flesh, and the devil are all working overtime to prevent us from walking through that gate that grace has shown us, that mercy has offered to us. And so in conclusion, I wish that I could tell you this morning that I understand the mysteries of God and how he designed mankind and why he did all of this. I wish that I could tell you that it's easy to fathom the complexities of free will versus predestination. I cannot because, frankly, that has not been given to mankind. This is one of those areas where Dad declares, because I said so. But one thing that we have been given is why many find the road to destruction and few find the way to life. The difference between the two ways is the difference between the law and the gospel. The gulf between these two is astronomically wide. Those who take the wide road have a number of lanes they can choose from to try to drive in. There's the lane of good works. There's the lane of self-deprecation. The lane of emotional self-control. The lane of charitable contribution, to name a few. All good things that will not get you into heaven. And those who find the narrow gate have this one option, this one thing in common. They have placed their trust in Christ. Now there's a big difference between looking at Christ and thinking, yeah, it could probably save me. We've talked about the chair before, right? I can look at a chair and go, yeah, it'll probably hold my weight. But have I really trusted in it yet? It's not till you sit in it and put your full weight on it that you finally have trusted in it. And so my question to you this morning is, have you placed your full trust in Christ for everything in your life, especially your eternal destination? And what do you think your response should be if you have? Pride, arrogance, relief, right? I'll tell you what Paul the Apostle's response was, who, by the way, called himself the greatest of sinners. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. You could be that one who leads a lost soul to the straight path. You could be that one who shows your neighbor the narrow gate. And hopefully by the grace of God, they themselves will pass through with you as you have done. And then eventually, both of you together can enter another gate called the pearly gates. And so this morning as we consider this narrow way, this straight path, I encourage you, as you look around you and you see all of these things that are going on in the world, revisit over and over again the things that you believe in. 
That's why it's important for us to recite the creed every month, to remind ourselves of those things that we do believe in, those things that we are placing our trust in this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for showing us the narrow way, and we are not arrogant, we are not proud, we know we were not even looking for it, but that you led us to it, and by grace you hold us in it. Father, we pray for those around us who have uh, faced many challenges and trials and troubles and things that have led them away and persecutions in their lives, Lord. Lord, help us to continue to encourage them to seek that narrow way, to present them that grace that you've given us. And so we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.